This is Actors Talk Podcast, Episode 64. I'm Tommy G. Kendrick. I am the producer and host of our digital get-together, and I am a character actor. Character actors. Yep, that's what we're talking about for this episode. When you hear that term, do you have a particular definition in mind? Different people may describe a character actor in different ways or think of different people. When I think of current character actors, some of the top ones I think of immediately would be someone like Paul Giamatti or Steve Buscemi or Gary Oldman. Now, all of these character actors are having great careers and are playing leading roles, not just supporting roles. Typically, character actors, I think, have been thought of as supporting actors. And as the definition I'm looking at here says, actors who are skilled at playing distinctly unusual, interesting, or eccentric characters such that they are almost unrecognizable from part to part, and yet play many, many roles convincingly and memorably. That part of the definition I think we would probably all agree on. It's the supporting actor part that was in the definition I'm looking at here that I'm not sure always holds true because there can be leading actors who are also character actors. Hmm. Was Dustin Hoffman in his heyday, was he a character actor or a leading man? Or both? Or what about someone like Jack Nicholson, even? An interesting subject, and the character actors are actors that I've always loved. I've become acquainted with a character actor that's working today in the New York area, acquainted over the internet because I've seen a lot of his work over the past few years where he's posted links to it online or I've seen a demo or that sort of thing. And I wanted to bring him on the show to talk about character actors and to talk about his career in particular. My guest for this episode, a very fine actor, a very fine character actor, Joe Hansard. Hi, Tommy. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You sound like you're in the next room. Man, isn't technology great? <laughs> yeah, I, I really have to congratulate you on your technical prowess. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I, I think we actors tend to be the inquisitive sorts, you know, and I cop to that. Yeah, it sounds like we're on national public radio. Well, let's hope it sounds that way. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about mulching here. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Or, Tractor yeah. pulls. Yeah. Right. That's some other <laughs> innocuous subject. Yeah. Exactly. We've known each other, and I use that word cautiously because it's we've only met via electronic means. And I'm not quite sure how we hooked up on Facebook or some chat room or something about acting. Do you have any recollection of that? Because I don't I don't really know what the beginning was. I, I think we met each other on YouTube. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I saw your demo reel, and I saw that character you played, um, Carney, on uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. And um, I was just so impressed, yeah. I sort of remember you commenting on that now that now that you mentioned it. Thank you very much again, though. So I'm, I'm always up for a compliment. Yeah, you just did a terrific job. It was I was just blown away by that performance, yeah. Well, that's that's nice of you to say, but I, I want to talk about you today here, Joe. You're on the East Coast of the USA, and I specify the USA because, believe it or not, podcast downloads for this show about from an American no-name actor sitting in Austin, Texas, 
from 168 different countries around the world. Wow. And it's regularly for each individual episode, there'll be 30 or 40 different countries around the globe represented. So I wanted to let people know sort of where you are in the U.S., did you grow up on the East Coast? You sort of seem like an East Coast guy, but I don't know if you are or not. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and then I went out to L.A. in the late 70s. I was there in the early 80s. And uh, right now I do a lot of work in New York and the East Coast, like the Mid-Atlantic region. It's been a whirlwind situation. When did you start acting professionally, Joe? I guess I kind of got into the acting business through broadcasting. I went to broadcasting school in Baltimore, and I started in radio as a disc jockey at a small station in Pennsylvania. That is awesome. Yeah, and that's a good training ground because you get to do a lot of things. You you spin records, you uh, host uh, local music shows, and you do the news, and you're an engineer also. So you kind of get to learn a lot about the business, and uh, that's how I got in. And I was always interested in acting, so I started doing it professionally. I guess I got my Screen Actors Guild card in 74. Five, so I, I wow, guess you I, predate me. <laughs> wow, yeah, I guess that's, I guess we're just a couple of old guys. <laughs> yeah, that's the sad truth. Yeah, the good thing about being an actor is you can always uh, tell people your age range. There you go. Yeah, you don't have to tell them your real age because it's all in the way you are perceived. That's right. Yeah. Where did you start acting? Was it in Was it in Maryland or New York or elsewhere? I got my first uh, speaking role in a feature film in, that was shooting in Maryland. It was a Los Angeles crew, and it was called The Hitter with Ron O'Neill. I don't know if you remember Ron. Of course. Yeah, he did a film called Superfly, and um, he was a very successful... I guess he's more or less a character actor also. Sheila Frazier was also in that film, and uh, Adolf Caesar, who went on to win an Oscar, yeah, for A Soldier's Story. So that was my first speaking role. I got my SAG card from that. How big a role was it? Was it a day role or more than that? It was a day player. Yeah, I played a graveyard redneck number two. <laughs> yeah, I was not a nice guy. I was I was very uh, mean to Ron and Sheila, his girlfriend in the movie. And uh, we had a fight scene. So that was kind of neat getting to learn how to do stunt fighting. Did they have a stunt coordinator that, that worked with you a bit on how to do that? Not really. It was a really low budget film. So it was the director more or less uh, telling me what to do. Okay. And it was in the dead of winter. So it was really cold in this oh, graveyard wow. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, that's <laughs> how it all started. Oh, man. Well, it can only go up from there. A, a graveyard in the dead of winter. Yeah, that really uh, got me psyched to be an actor. You know, it's very exciting when you land your first role. You know, you get such a big head. You think, wow, uh, I just want to do this forever, you know, and not really realizing it's... You kind of started ground zero, you know, with each audition. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think when I was a young actor, I thought, you know, because I was able to book a few things right away and... I won't say everybody, but I thought, oh, okay, so this is how it's going to go. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this job, and when it finishes, I'll 
I'll do the next one right away. And sometimes you do that and sometimes you just wait. Yeah, yeah. The, the waiting is the hardest part. And uh, man, there's there's highs and there's real lows. <laughs> and I'm sure you know what that's like. Uh, Both been on a, I guess, a 30 or 40 year journey here. And it is a journey. I think what I've tried to focus on as the years have gone on and, and after that first blush of success sort of wears off, you know, is that, is that you realize the journey is what you live for, not necessarily the high of the job or the low of, you know, not getting the job, the rejection from the audition, but, to, you know, try to learn to appreciate the journey itself. And you can sort of stay sane that way. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, those are very wise words. The journey is really what it's all about and, and actually maintaining a life outside of acting because you're portraying the human condition. So you want to be a participant in the human condition as opposed to portraying portraying you know what i mean that's well said oh thank you i i think i heard that from john cusack oh you stole that yeah i saw i <laughs> i read an interview with john cusack he was talking about his sister and he said to his sister at one point you don't want to be one of these actors who portrays portraying oh man and i thought wow that's something i'll put in my pocket and use that's kind of rich. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first time I've been able to use it. Well, uh, I'm happy I was able to afford you that opportunity. Thanks, Tommy. <laughs> hey, you used the term character actor earlier, and I wanted to sort of talk about character actors because I'm a character actor. I was a character actor when I was 20 years old because you know, I certainly wasn't a leading man. I was this geeky, gawky, skinny, redheaded kid with freckles, you know, and I was then and was always going to be a character actor. And I love character actors. Character actors became my heroes in the business, really. What does that term character actor mean to you? What do you think of when you hear character actor? And what do you hear? What do you think maybe people who aren't in the business think of when they hear the term? I guess people in the business, uh, when they hear the term character actor, they may think of people like Walter Matthau or Ernest Borgnine or uh, Gene Hackman, like mainstream character actors who who have made a great career out of being character actors. And some are actually leading men or were leading men like Dustin Hoffman and Jack Nicholson. And it's funny to kind of watch their career trajectory trajectories you know they kind of went from bleeding men to going back to being supporting actors and character actors like um sylvester stallone you know nominated for an oscar for creed so i think that's very interesting so i guess that's what people think of what i think of is character actors are great actors like louise guzman sure Man, he is just so good. And uh, people like Les Lanham, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know Les, but he was really great. Oh, wasn't he good? What was the, the series he did with David Jansen? Harry O, it was called. Harry O. Yeah. And I had the good fortune to work with him when I was in Los Angeles. Um, great guy. Just so versatile. And Character actors to me like can can do anything, and that's kind of what I love about doing it and being a character actor. Is I went from being a uh, police detective in the Nick to being a homeless guy in the Mysteries of Laura, you know. So and and, and excellent in both, by the way. Oh, thanks, Tommy. Thanks for watching. 
Man, I, I was watching the Nick last night, actually, just to, to you know make sure I was prepared. And that was such an interesting show. And you were so good in it. It's a period show. And maybe you should tell people sort of just briefly what the context of the show is. It's, it's set in what, the early 1900s? Yeah, there were two seasons. And the first season started in 1900. And then the second season pretty much picked up right where the first season left off in 1901, New York City. And it's a medical drama about uh, modern medicine and the turn of the century and doctors making these exciting new discoveries in terms of medicine. And this was even before penicillin. So, and, and it also shows how hard life was back then, you know, and Stuff we take for granted today was like so arduous back then. And it's just a brilliant series. And it, when I, I, I was a fan of the show even before I got a part on it, you know, and I just thought, wow, I, this show really seduces you, you know, into it draws you in. Like you may not even realize it after the first episode. It just kind of seduces you and draws you in and makes you care about the characters and the people and the time and there's beautiful costumes and it's just oh my goodness that's one of the things i was thinking last night joe is the the wardrobe budget on this show must be incredible because it looks like a very expensive show to shoot oh yeah yeah it's i'm sure it's it's a few mil per episode i don't know what the breakdown is but that's one of the great things about uh hbo they uh can do these shows that are kind of not really mainstream, but very interesting and met a lot of critical acclaim. And you have people like Steven Soderbergh directing each episode and also photographing it and editing it. So it's just... Oh, really? Yeah, it's just, he's a workhorse. He, I just can't say enough good things about him. Well, let me throw you a compliment first, and then I want to ask about uh, some things about Soderbergh and working with him. Compliment is this. You fit in so perfectly in context with the time period. You know, sometimes you can see an actor in something that is more or less a period piece and they they just don't seem to fit. And you fit perfectly. You you did a great job of fitting into the context of the show. And I want to compliment you on that. That's not easy to do. Well, thanks, Tommy. Uh, one of the notes uh, Steven Soderbergh gave all his actors to prep is he said, no grooming. So that was very easy for me. You know, I didn't have to shave or cut my hair. Yeah. <laughs> and I fun. think, and I have um, a missing tooth. So when I did the audition, I worked without a temporary flipper that I use. And I think he must have liked that because I guess a detective's salary, you couldn't afford dental work back then. Or they probably didn't have insurance. Probably didn't have Blue Cross Blue Shield back in 1901. <laughs> Let's break this down a little bit for the actors listening and who would love to work on a show like The Nick. I'm assuming you auditioned for the show. Did you audition on tape or did you audition in the office and was Soderbergh involved in the audition process? I auditioned on tape originally. My agent sent me the sides. And so I submitted on tape and then I got a callback. And the callback was in person in Brooklyn at the soundstage where they shoot the Nick. And Soderbergh wasn't 
there, I, the, it was the casting director that taped me for the in-person callback. But I heard that Soderbergh looks at all the tapes and he pretty much decides who he wants to use. And then after the in-person callback, they asked to see my reel as a video file, not not as like a link to YouTube. So I guess I imagine Mr. Soderbergh wanted to make sure that I was capable of doing it. So I sent the reel and I had stuff on there like America's Most Wanted and The Wire and some other mainstream stuff I had done. So so then I got the call like a day later that, that I booked the part and would I um, consider... <laughs> blocking out February through May to work, you know, they didn't have a date set down. And I said, well, let me check my schedule, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 quite a long period of time. Yeah, yeah, that's a big window. But on the inside, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm going to work with Steven Soderbergh. So it was quite exciting. Yeah. Of course, we all, before we meet someone or work with them, at least I say we all, this is the way I am. I have this sort of impression of someone based on the work of theirs I may see, have seen or interviews I may have read or seen with them of, of how they're going to be. And maybe even I have some expectation of how they might be as a director. How was your expectation, if you had any, of what it would be like to work with Soderbergh? How did that meet the reality of the experience? Well, I did a lot of Googling to um, see what his work process was. And most of the articles I read said that he's a very fast director. He works so fast. It's just incredible. And so when I went up for my wardrobe fitting, I talked to as many people as I could to find out how he works. And they all said, yeah, he works really fast. He doesn't do a lot of takes. He might do three takes maximum. It's usually like one or two. So if you want to try anything, you should be sure to get that in, you know, like in the first take. And then I met him and he's like, the coolest guy, you know, he dresses like a teenager and he's really skinny and very uh, unassuming. He was wearing um, a black T-shirt with 39 on it, which you can buy on his website. <laughs> and like a baseball cap and jeans and very casual. But he's like he's like a workhorse and he's got to be very physical in a lot of these shots he does. Like he's on a moving dolly on a lot of them and... It's moving pretty fast, and he's like an athlete, actually. How is the feeling or the mood on the set? It was the happiest set, one of the happiest sets I've ever been on, because all the actors I talked to says he you know, works maybe anywhere between 8 and 12 hours normally. And, you know, they a lot of them get off work early and they're done for the day early. So he shoots very fast. Does he employ multiple cameras to get different angles at the same time? Friday Night Lights used to shoot that way. Yeah, he um, he mostly shoots single camera, but there is a B camera sometimes. He didn't use the B camera on any of the scenes I was on, but he will use, use a B camera operator from time to time but a lot of his shots are like single takes if you'll notice uh-huh jeremy bob really filled me in he plays the actor herman barrow who i had my scenes with he told me how uh steven will block out a scene like on the fly you know and he doesn't like to do it beforehand a lot because then he's thinking he's gonna have to accommodate the actual situation so he blocks it out pretty much on the fly as he's seeing this location. So the first day we had 
like a wide shot and then multiple close-ups and those were all one camera and then days two and three it was all single continuous shots so you can't screw up because if you screw up you start at one again and there's no retakes you know what i mean right so it was so fascinating to watch him and and he's like a real indie kind of guy because we did a scene in this lavatory in this building it was a men's club from a 1901 era building in uh, wall street and he was like on this stool with wheels on it doing a really technical dolly move if you watch the scene you can see that he kind of moves back into the left of me and then i walk forward and then there's a profile shot then he moves in front of me again and lets me walk out of frame and swings the camera to the left so you can see another character entering frame. And that was kind of intimidating because I realized, you know, I can't blow these lines. <laughs> I've got to get through it. And I kind of messed up the first time, but this se- he did two more takes and I had it down. And Jeremy... Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I-, I thought that was an interesting shot too because of all the mirrors. And, you know, I... I'm always fascinated by how the guys can set up shots and everything and, uh, and avoid the mirrors. Yeah, yeah, that was really fascinating. And then if you watch the way he framed it, he had like my reflection in the mirror and the other actor. Yeah. And um, so he did all that without being seen and then changed the shot. And But I suppose if you had to, you could block out reflections in post nowadays yeah but i don't think he did was there much rehearsal there was probably one rehearsal what one run through and then the actual take yeah so there wasn't a lot yeah yeah that could be uh that could be interesting i know uh, when i did um the film well the film and the the tv show friday night lights the tv show for sure was done with multiple cameras and they they didn't rehearse and I didn't really know that, wow. you know. And so, you know, I was playing a doctor and I was supposed to be, uh, you know, applying a blood pressure cuff and all this action while we're talking and we didn't rehearse it. And I'm saying, uh, okay, you know, and, and I thought, you know, my one thought was, God, I would, I would hate to have been like a first time actor or a real experienced actor that they just said, here, go, we're going to, we're starting now, you know. And I said, well, are, are there any marks? No, no marks. No, we're just, we're going. You know, it's like, wow. Wow. Was it a handheld <laughs> yeah. camera? They did. They used one handheld camera. And then there, there was a, there, the scene moves from a room into a hall. And there was a, or a camera, I think, on either on sticks or on a dolly. I can't remember. In the hall, getting a long yeah. shot. You know that way but it was it was like okay we're not gonna we're not gonna rehearse this action with the blood pressure cuff on nah it'll it'll be fine but, wow and then how did you feel as you were actually doing it did it did it feel pretty good you know how it is joe sometimes sometimes what we're asked to do in front of the camera can feel awkward in a way you know i mean you may need to turn a certain direction or stand in a certain way it looks right on screen but it may not feel right when you're doing it and you just have to trust the director that they know what they're doing and you do it the way they say and it and it came out fine so feels really awkward but only to you not not the way it's perceived yeah exactly yeah yeah that happened in the third setup where i'm walking into a room and i'm supposed to be scanning the room and looking for this herman barrow character 
And so my eyeline, I had to fake because if I was really looking at him, I wouldn't be facing the camera. So I looked at a, I picked out a spot on the wall to look at. And then as I'm walking toward the poker table where they're playing poker, I shifted my eyeline to him as I was walking. So it felt really awkward, but it looks fine on camera, you know. It does yeah, look good. Thanks. You know, and what you're describing are some of the technique things and technical things about acting for the camera that one has to either learn through, certainly through classes maybe, but you learn those through experience as well. And things like eyeline are so important in film. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And um, and then the blocking is almost like learning more lines. You know, you have to remember, I'm going to say this here and that there, you know. And so that adds another layer to it. But I was working with Jeremy Bob, who was a sweetheart, and he was kind enough to run lines with me. So I was pretty confident about knowing the lines. And um, and then also, that's kind of a good thing when you're doing it that way, because you're kind of reacting spontaneously, you know, instead of thinking too much in your head. You know what I mean? Exactly. Your comment about your fellow actor leads me into something I wanted to talk about, too, which is also often the the case we character actors find ourselves in. We'll come into a show, whether it's a TV show or a film, and we might be there for a day or a few days or a couple of weeks, or if we're lucky, more than that. But quite often, we're walking onto a set that's already well-established where the relationships are ongoing, and we don't necessarily know anybody. But we have to come in with a job to do for those days that we're there, and we have to hit the ground running. That's kind of a, a situation that I had to learn about over the years, too, and get comfortable with. How about you? Yeah, that's true. Uh, we don't really know anybody, and then you have to be mean to a guy that you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, there is a real uh, process involved in that. and. I'm kind of intimidated when I'm around people like that. Like, I don't know what to say, and I, I don't want to sound stupid. And one time I auditioned for Francis Ford Coppola, and he was there in person. And I said, oh, hi, Francis. And I don't know if that was the right way to greet him. I <laughs> should have said Mr. Coppola or something. So so I got advice from the, yeah. like, uh, the prop guy. I said, how should I address Steven Soderbergh? Should I say... Mr. Soderbergh, and he goes, nah, just call him Steve, and he's a really nice guy. And, and, you know, they try to, they do their best to make you feel at ease, and everybody's really nice, you know, and, and then you, yeah. sh you have your lunch break with them together and get to hang out and talk about the biz, and, you know, it makes it less <laughs> uh, anxiety ridden. And also, when you're on for a few days as opposed to just one day, it, you have a sense of continuity and you get to see how everybody works. So that's right. really fun. My trepidation, and I don't know why, maybe it's because I learned something early in my career through an experience or something, is I'm, you know, I'm always a little cautious at first because, you know, this is going to sound terrible, but you don't know who's mad at each other. You know, <laughs> you don't know who has a problem with some fellow cast right, member right. or something. So, so you just want to sort of get the lay of the land as much as you can and then just, you know, get to work. You can't get caught up in those, uh, in those outside things that are out of your control you just yeah. have to kind of blend in as best you can yeah that's why it's so great to walk onto a set like you're describing where somebody has a really 
uh, low key professional, but not there's not a feeling of stress or tension in the air because when there is, you can feel it. You know? Yeah, that's for sure. I, I guess the director pretty much sets the tone for how everybody else is going to be working. And I've heard that Steven Soderbergh uses a lot of the same people over and over again. So he's got his crew, you know, and it, it's almost like a family. You know, everybody yeah. knows everybody. Everybody knows how the other one works. And a lot of times they they like read each other's mind, you know, they don't even have to talk. Yeah. And it's like, a, and plus he's got an army. So that must be a great way to work when you have so many people helping you in every aspect. Yeah, you know, that's interesting you bring that up because when you're um when you're a young actor, you think, wow, you look at people and you go, wow, th this guy uses the same people over and over. I'll never get to work for that person or whatever. And you think it's a you think it's a negative thing, maybe. And you realize, you know, when you've had a little experience, people use people that they like, that are good and that do their jobs well and people they can trust. Because there's so little time to get things done, whether it's a TV show or really even a movie, that time is definitely money. And to have those shortcuts where people know what the other one's going to do or how they're going to react becomes extremely important. And for the actor to be likable and pleasant to work with and easy to work with, it becomes a big deal. Yeah, that's true. You don't want any drama on a set because that just costs more money. So, yeah, they're. They're like people you'd want to hang out with, you know, and uh, like have some French fries with sometime, you know. <laughs> hey, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, right? yeah. Hey, Joe, you worked on the West Coast for a while. At what point in your career did you go to California? And how long were you there before you relocated back to the East Coast? I was there uh, off and on for three years in the late 70s and early 80s. And I just had the worst time out in L.A. It just leaves such a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I... Uh, well, let me refresh that. What was what was so bad about it? Well, I couldn't get arrested in that town. And looking back on it, I think it's because I didn't have a game plan. You know, I was just kind of... I just wanted it so bad. I just went out there and wanted to see what would happen, you know. And so I got to yeah. work with some cool people and did some student films it was a bad time personally because i was going through a lot of things in my head and uh and i actually went through a, a downward spiral down there wasn't working wasn't making any money had my car repossessed uh had a meltdown i ended up in saint john's uh mental health unit in santa monica for six months Oh, yeah, wow. so it wasn't, it was, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, so I moved back in with my parents in like uh, 83, and I was living with them and going to a community college. Well, this is how old I am. I was learning how to use a typewriter so I could get some kind of office job. What you're describing, Joe, is a reality that can happen. You know, now that's why when I get calls or emails, especially from younger people who are looking to get in the business, you kind of try to assess why. And if it's about money and fame and those sorts of things, you know, there's a, there are a lot of easier ways to make money than being in the acting business. Yeah, that's true. 
And if there's something somebody has passion about that that they can also make money with, then they really should do that than get in the active business because it can take a it could take a toll on you. It, you know, I've been through I haven't been through what you described, but I certainly went through a crisis of confidence at one point in L.A. And when I went out there, I was the most confident person in the world. And I think because of that, started working right away. But then things can beat you up a little bit. And if you lose your confidence, you can really lose your way. Yeah, that's true. You never want to come from a a place of desperation, especially at auditions. You know, you want to come from a place of how can I fit into this project are you buying what I'm selling, you know? All right. It's so personal, though, and it's it's very hard to separate the business side from the personal side. And, and a lot of people do get into it for the wrong reasons. Uh, like you say, like fame and money, which can't be a priority. If you get it, it's great, but it can't be your end goal, I guess. You got to have passion for the work and for the journey itself. Otherwise... There's really no reason to, to do it uh, from my point of view. I mean, I think it has to be a calling. I mean, something that's so deeply rooted in you that's something you have to do that you can't do anything else. And when it is, then I've had these conversations with myself and with God above from time to time saying, you know, if I'm supposed to be doing this, why isn't it going better? And then I'll try to quit or have in the past and realize I can't. This is who I am. And I'm going to pick myself up and go forward. Yeah, it's, it's your destiny. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's a very uh, weird paradox that us actors incur because on the one hand, we're very narcissistic. And on the other hand, we're very insecure. Yeah. So you're always juggling those two. Oh, yeah. You have to have a life, I, I think, in doing it so long. You have to have a life outside of acting. And then the acting can be the gravy, you know. Yeah. So you're not necessarily working for money as much as the joy of, of a good story or a great director or something you, you're passionate about, like you say, you know, it just... Absolutely. When did you sort of start focusing in on things that would be related to artistic talents and pursuits, whether it was, you know, using your voice or getting into acting? Do you come from that because there's a family member that's creative and was in the business or anything? Well, my dad in the 40s lived in Hollywood and he was an extra and he knew how to ride a horse. So he would get a lot of work on these Westerns and cowboy films. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I guess I kind of picked it up from him, although he never really talked to me about it that much until I started expressing an interest in it. And I would say when I was like 12, I was very interested in photography and uh, and I had a Super 8 millimeter movie camera that my parents got me for Christmas and I would make movies with the kids in the neighborhood, you know, <laughs> and we'd make our little films and try to be the next Spielberg, you know. So I was always into it at a very young age. And then in high school, I was on the tech side in the theater department, taking photographs of the cast and crew. And then I eventually wanted to go to the other side of the, you know, the performing side. Right. And that's when I went to broadcasting school and got my chance to be on the other side of it. Awesome. So. When I saw I saw a video you posted recently, I, th I think you posted it maybe on Facebook, and it was of your brother playing guitar. 
and it was really good. So is he your only sibling or do you have other siblings and are they artistic as well? Uh, he's my only sibling and he's uh, been playing guitar since he was a teenager and he's so good. Yeah, I guess it kind of runs in the family. He, uh, I got him a computer and kind of showed him how to uh, tape himself and then he learned uh, the Audacity. I don't know if you've ever used Audacity. I use it all the time. That's oh, what I record my audiobooks on. Okay. Well, he became a master at uh, audio engineering with Audacity for music. And like he's, I was just so blown away by what he could do. And he's really taken it to the next level and does some great stuff. And that's his passion too, is being a musician. And all his life, he's wanted to do that. And yeah, well, that that video was really, really good. Oh, thanks. He was doing an update of an old Bach tune and made it sound kind of like um, the Ventures. <laughs> it, it really did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he'll be thrilled that uh, that you liked that. And oh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. You can watch him on Vimeo. It's uh, it's Vimeo.com slash Robert Hansard. If you're so inclined, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. In fact, I want to say that we'll put links or I'll put links in the show notes to where folks can look at your materials online. If you have a website, which I'm pretty sure you do, and demo reels and that kind of thing and links to who your agent is so they can get in touch that way. Gee, thanks, Tommy. You're, you're a dream come true and a boost to my career. Well, I, I don't know about that, but I, I think you're a terrific actor. That's for sure. Do you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Joe Hansard, J-O-E-H-A-N-S-A-R-D. And I have my website. It's called JoeHansard.com. I'm on Facebook and YouTube and Vimeo. Yeah, I, I'm, I always have time for everybody. I'm glad you had time for me today here on Actors Talk. Sure, Tommy. It's my pleasure. Thanks a million for having me on the show pleasure absolutely and i'll be looking forward to the next time you're really good about letting people know where they can see you next and when that next time presents itself i'll look forward to being there to enjoy your performance thanks tommy yeah i'm, I'm a networking monster well i'm just a monster so okay <laughs> okay joe we're gonna wrap it up here i'm gonna press uh, the end record button stick with me and we'll chat a little bit off the air okay Thanks again, Joe Hansard, for spending some time with me for the podcast. I do appreciate it. What a revealing and honest interview, huh? I think so. And I hope it will help you to understand a bit more about what it could be like on this actor's journey. It's one specific example of the actor's life and the journey that one terrific character actor has taken from a broadcasting career into the acting business. Joe's a terrific actor, and if there's any doubt in your mind whatsoever, just visit that episode of The Nick, the final episode of Season 2, and you'll see what a terrific actor he is indeed. Joe Hansard. Wow. Joe, thank you. Well, that's it for this episode. Join me in a couple of weeks for the next one. And if everything works out okay, I probably shouldn't say, but we'll probably be having an interview with a Broadway actress, someone who has a very, very different and interesting story of where she began her journey, which has only been going on for a few years because she's a young actor in the business, but one who is having a lot of success on Broadway. 
on the next episode of Actors Talk Podcast. Until then, I do hope to see you in the movies. God bless you all. Thanks for being here. That's a wrap.